Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Maybe if you're honest with yourselves, maybe some of you could have like maybe had a silent thought which came into you and said, oh, great. Another message which is going to be about getting me to do something or give some money. Or maybe you're like secretly just like, oh man, I'm already doing so much for the church and in ministry and all these other things. I just can't take on anymore. What are you talking about? What are you coming for? And I hear you on that. Sometimes we get, we do get caught up in doing a lot and we sometimes feel resistant to, to this call. But both of those thoughts are really focused on action. They're focused on doing things, either I'm not doing enough or I'm doing heaps. Both of them are focused on doing, which is, of course, an important part of service. Don't get me wrong. But when we look in Luke, Acts, and the rest of the New Testament, the Bible, the focus isn't necessarily on the act, isn't necessarily on the doing. More often, it is focused on the heart. It is focused on our heart. It's an approach. It's a disposition, it's a posture, an attitude. And that's because service is a response to something. It's a response that comes from our heart out of what someone else has done. It's in relationship. So I want to remind us this morning and maybe ask us, what's actually at the center of our heart? Because if we call ourselves Jesus followers, we call ourselves Christians, It should be Jesus, but that means that Jesus is also our master. So how does that all work together? Because when we look at Jesus, we not only see that he has a lot to say about this, but we also see that he is our master, but he's also described frequently as our servant. And it's sometimes this weird pairing, and if we're meant to be like him, we need to maybe pay attention to what he's saying in this. And then when we look into the rest of Acts and the New Testament, we also see that people are just responding amazingly to Jesus' example, living generous lives, living lives of service to one another and to the wider community. And it's radical in a way that we just don't quite like explain without Jesus. So I want to remind us that we are responding this morning and hopefully with our lives to the love of Jesus. And that's what we're focused on here this morning. Maybe when we thought of an image, not only maybe, you know, Pride and Prejudice, maybe some of those other period pieces, but for me, I also think of a parent and a child. Um, My my wife and I, we have two kids now. um, And in this, we just had, you know, those notices. And I know for you guys, you're about to go into the Christmas season. But for us... Like this period right now, we've called Choctober, just because it's so busy. There's so many things going on. Like the 150.50 is really big for us as a church. Uh, we're launching uh, at Verdun an afternoon uh, thing, which is happening. For me and my family, I've been sick for a week uh, just before youth camp, which, you know, cut me out a little bit of that, which sucked, but I was still able to go. And just recently, my wife came down with COVID. And so I was really concerned leading up to it. She's not here this morning. My kids are at home because she can't leave the house. And so I was like, I better not get COVID and then not be able to preach this morning. 
And it's in these moments when you've got a parent who's sick and you just notice just how much the other just serves in that. They serve both the kids and the partner, and you're just like, wow. It's just above and beyond. And it just reminded me of, of this thing, this saying which kind of comes in and it's spoken to me, it's this, that we serve what we love, and we love what we serve. We serve what we love, and we love what we serve. Because we're always actually serving something. We always actually have a master. We might not like some of those terminologies. For me, I actually find that, you know, kind of confronting at times, that I have a master, kind of flinch away from that a little bit. But we all do. If it's Jesus, awesome. But if it's not Jesus, it's just something else. It's just something else. Whether it is something in our world, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's job, popularity, fame, there's always something that we're serving because we love it. And so I'm always challenged by, well, then who is our master? And then what are we going to serve? So let's, let's turn to Luke. I encourage you, we're going to be going through a lot of Scripture this morning. So if you're really fast, like turning through your Bibles, that'll, that'll serve you well. If not, you've got a Bible app, that's probably better this morning, <laughs> unless you're really good at knowing what page number each of these things are on. We're going to go to Luke 22. You're going to follow me, follow me here. Verse 24, it says this, Jesus on serving. It says, a dispute arose among them, as this is the disciples, um, as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. But who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? Jesus, our Messiah, our Master, who we're meant to be like, is amongst us as one who serves. Do we picture Jesus as one who serves? See, it's really, really radical when we think of the Last Supper, um, I don't know how much you read John. It's one of my favorite gospels. We see Jesus get on his hands and knees and wash his disciples' feet. This image of a servant, the lowest job of all, of washing the gross feet. I don't know if you like, if you're walking around bare feet out in the sticks, your feet get really gross. And he washes them as this humble servant. It was so radical that the church then was like, is this something really special, this weird thing about feet washing? It became a thing in the early church. Go and look it up. It's very interesting. But the idea that Jesus, the Master, the Messiah, the one who the universe was created through, is somehow amongst us serving. The lowest of the low, and yet he's the highest of all. This crazy like dichotomy, this conflict that is kind of there, And it's also not just in Luke. When we go to Acts 3, uh, 26, I said we're going to be moving around a little bit. 
says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And when God raised up his servant, this is Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Interesting. Jesus is proclaimed as a servant as if that's some title to be honored and lifted up. When we sometimes think of the help, we think of someone beneath us, particularly in the English language. Oh, if someone helping us, you're not as good. Do you know what I mean? It's lesser. But then we're lifting Jesus up with help. Talking about that, helper, really interesting if you you know your Bibles. Um, Ebenezer or the Ezer, or Isa, depending on how you want to pronounce Hebrew words. I'm not very good at that. Is this idea of the divine other helper. It's what Eve's first name actually is. The divine helper, the divine other. It's normally used actually for God. And we tend to like push that down. We don't like that term very much. God is our helper. We don't tend to like these things at times. But it's raised up. Jesus is elevated here as the servant, as something to be honored. If we continue into Acts 4, verse 27, it says this, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. It's this way that this role, which is elevated, is opposed It's always actually in conflict with the world. And this makes sense. This conflict that I was speaking about, that we tend to push down or look down on those who help, and yet Christ in our faith elevates, there's a conflict there. There's a conflict which obviously happened to Jesus. And it continues after that. It says, stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Not only that, There is power in Jesus, our servant. So there's this weird dichotomy, and that Jesus calls it out. He also calls it out in Matthew. He says, the greatest among you will be the servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's all throughout the Bibles, this idea of the first will be last, the last will be first. All of this flipping upside down of our authority structures, our, you know, who's got the power, this pyramid type of thing. And God goes, yeah, I created everything, but I've come to this earth to serve you. It's just amazing. When we look at Philippians, I'm going to keep on going because there's just, it's all throughout our Bibles. Hopefully you're seeing this with me. If you go to Philippians, it says this in the Christ hymn in chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking up the very nature of a servant. Made in human likeness. How often do we skip over that bit? He made himself a servant. He chose this. This isn't something that the Father in this weird triune trinity thing, which we get confused about sometimes. This isn't something which the Father said, no, you're going to do this. Like me talking to my daughter going, you're going you're to go to bed now. Like that's not what this was. Jesus willingly chose and entered this world 
humbled himself and took on the very nature of a servant. So this is where I wanted to challenge us. We're meant to be like Jesus. And yet this is the picture which Jesus gives us of himself, calling himself a servant, willingly entering into that. This heart thing that Jesus has of humbling himself to the world. And I want to remind us why. Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus come to the earth? Why did Jesus die on that cross for our sins? What is the heart of the gospel? That God loves us. You love what you serve, and you serve what you love. God loves us, so he serves us. Serve past tense, present, and into the future. Isn't that amazing? Another thing when you look, particularly in, uh, in, in our Gospels, there's a lot of parables, a lot of parables. And you'll notice that when you read them, a servant comes up actually frequently. It's this kind of theme which runs through Jesus' teachings. There's these good servants, and then there's these wicked servants. And they're always like, like proposed in juxtaposition, in, con- in contrast to one another, as a reflection of one. And it's all through. And I, I, I just want you to, maybe another time, maybe not here this morning, because there's so many of them, go and read all the servant parables, back to back. Yeah? And you'll notice something. You'll notice this, that the wicked servants are always trying to get something. Right? If you think of the older brother, he wants a goat to celebrate with his friends. He's wanting credit. If you're thinking the wicked servants, they're wanting not to upset their master, so they hide things away. They're always wanting something, these wicked servants. Whether it's status or money or whatever, they're wanting something. It's about what they can get. And yet when you see the good servants, they're faithful in all circumstance. They're faithful generously above and beyond they, in, in the talents, they, like, make more and more. They're focused instead on the mission rather than the reward. They're focused on what they can give, on what they can do. They're focused on the master and what he's told them. He's focused on the relationship with that master rather on what they can get. See, the nature of the gospel is that God, in his great and amazing love, has given us the biggest and greatest give, gift pardon me, <laughs> that anyone can ever give you. He's given us our entire eternal lives. And if you recognize that, oh, what we've done with that, with our own sin, it continuously, all the time, has just thrown that back in his face, and that in his grace and mercy, he loves us anyway, and has done away with that, and we're back into right relationship with him. When we recognize what Jesus has done, we recognize that that gift is incomparable. He's given us everything. And so when we have that mindset, 
how can we ask for anything more? How can we seek to gain from Jesus when he's already given us everything? How can we seek to earn when it's already given? We earned what's already ours. This is the lie right back in Genesis 1. The snake goes, oh, you'll become like God. There already were. There already were God's images. It's the same thing, and we do it as Christians all the time. Even within the church, we try to earn whatever in serving in church at times, whether it's status or, you know, being able to have your voice at the front. Ooh, maybe that's maybe for me. What is this thing that we keep on trying to earn what's already given to us? We need to recognize and respond to God's love. We need to be generous because God is generously given to us. And when we recognize that, our service not becomes about what we can get back. We don't get paid from, you know, being a Christian, right? We know we instead we are free and generous people who live honestly, with integrity, and just giving, and this idea of the service is like connected with that, and we can pass on God's love, it's just amazing. And this is why Jesus reminds us of this. We go to Luke 16. It says this, that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. But this goes far beyond that as well. The Pharisees who loved money heard this and were all sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value is highly detestable for God. You mentioned 1 Samuel there. God looks at the heart. He looks at what's deep inside us. That's what he actually cares about. We are not really in control of what happens once it leaves our bodies and sometimes not even within our bodies. It's hard to control, but we are in control of our heart disposition. It is a choice to be generous. It is a choice to be a servant. And we can only have one master. My last sermon, which was a while ago now, I said there's only one king of your heart. And that is true. There is only can be one master. You can't serve two. You'll hate one and love the other. So who do you love truly deeply in the midst of your heart? Do a check within yourself. Is it actually Jesus? Is my servant nature, when I serve at church or in other places, is that because what Jesus has done? Or is it about, I don't know, a job, a role, about maybe friends? Because if we put that above Jesus, our heart's in the wrong place. And God cares about our heart. So we need to recognize that we serve what we love and we love what we serve because it's in our heart. We have no choice in that, but we choose what our master is. So let's be responding to that. And that leads me to, well, what was the response of the early church to what Jesus has done? We've been doing this series in Acts for like forever. It's awesome. I love it. And all throughout there, there's just all these examples. If we go to Acts 4 again, uh, 32 this time, we have this first 
response of the first group of people which came together and called Christ uh, Lord after his death. After Pentecost, they all come together, do all this stuff. This is what it says. All the believers were in one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money with them from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. That is the response of the early Acts church to what Jesus has done. It's everything. So they gave everything as the Holy Spirit led them to the church, to Jesus, really, as his mission. Isn't that just amazing? Doesn't that sound revolutionary to you? In Acts 6, um, the deacons are, are kind of uh, coined. We have this term called deacon. It comes from, uh, from those like Stephen who uh, took on this role of being servants in the church. Diakonos is the, is the Greek word, if I'm hopefully right on that one. I practiced it. Um, <laughs> and it's, it can't be unlinked within the Scriptures from this idea of ministry. Being a servant is connected with the mission of God. You can't disconnect them. And so there's this, sometimes we, we think, particularly if when we think of deacon, that it's disconnected from our spiritual nature. But that's not the case here. It's completely linked with the ministry and mission of Jesus. In fact, it's so linked that it's all throughout there that we just need to serve one another. That's, and we're in, in our act of being missionaries, in our act of being on mission or, <laughs> and being that presence in the world, that we just have to serve one another. It spills out of, uh, of who we are. And it doesn't just stop with that Acts church. It continues. I could go on with many other examples. Look at Tabitha or Dorcas later on in, in Acts, her amazing servanthood na uh, nature where she was making clothes and it was just so valuable to the community that when Peter visited, like the Spirit just led him to pray and, and, and raise her back from the dead because of how valuable and needed she was to the community. Like there's so many examples as you go through of just amazing servants and it's just inspiring to read. But it doesn't just end in Acts. He also continues later. This is 1 Peter 4. It says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, and each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Whatever gift you have received, you should use to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Sometimes when we think of the servant thing, we kind of go, oh, I need to go in the back and wash dishes. <laughs> yes, you do need to do that. But also, what has God given you? What has the Holy Spirit, in its awesome power and wisdom beyond our understanding, gifted you? How has he made you? Who are you in God? And then what is God calling you to do? Because if that is the case, then all of these things can be offered up. 
it's not just about, you know, me standing at the front, please, I really hope that that's true because this is not the platform which we need. The platform is the servant-hearted nature of Jesus in all forms, whether it's up the back as techies, whether it's outside of here being uh, talking to people on the, straight, on the street proclaiming Jesus, whether it's setting out the chairs, whether it's looking after our kids lovely in the corner. It is not necessarily about a specific act. It's about offering up your whole selves, everything, in submission to Jesus, in this humble nature, recognizing him as your master, and then walking into what that means. I just want to remind us here that what the Acts Church and what the rest of our New Testament scriptures doesn't end there. It actually continues, and I really hope it is here with us in Hills Baptist. Now, I don't know if you guys like reading documents. I don't particularly. But I just want to read something from our statement of faith as a church. I don't know if you've read it. This is in our church values. It says this, that we will be good stewards We acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from God. So we live as stewards of creations, not owners. This means that we are generous with our time, talent, and treasure as we seek to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the very next statement is, we are servant-hearted. Christ's love compels us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we desire to be a community that embodies this love seeking to serve rather than to be served. We've written that in our church documents. But is that just words on a page? Is that alive and well in us in a church? Are we living out what we have ourselves have said that we are and what we're going to stand by? Are we good stewards who are generous? And are we servant-hearted? Because that's what we said that we are. So all of these things and the gifts of the Holy Spirit to all of the people who call Christ Lord and all of us as members have a role to play here in this real world. (laughs) Not necessarily hypothetically. We all have a role to play using God-given gifts, skills, and talents for the good of the church, local, universal, whatever that means to you, whatever God is calling you to, you have a role to play. You are valued here. You're valued in the church. You're valued to God. The other thing that we kind of have in our church, you might hear it every now and again, depends on how strong it is. Hopefully it's getting through. It's the idea of belong, believe, become, and build. The four Bs. It's this kind of cycle. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah? Some of us have? I want to ask us, as we look at those things, as we look at belong, believe, become, and build, How do they work as us individually or as us as a collective unless we are generous and serve? Our church just doesn't happen, right? Each of those just doesn't happen unless we take on that mission. So it's not about, you know, the pastors who do stuff behind the scenes. It's about everyone. Unless we all take that on, the church just doesn't function and it falls apart. 
Because the church should be doing God's mission. That's all what this is about, proclaiming Jesus. And I know it's dangerous, but I'm going to call out some people. <laughs> you're always a bit nervous about that this morning. Uh, and anytime you're up the front of, of naming people, because you always feel like you're going to forget someone. But I don't want to do that without the heart. I want to acknowledge that this church, Hills Baptist and Lobethal, are amazing in this area. Last time I was here, you guys were trying to figure out how can you serve the local community at Christmas. And it was awesome. <laughs> you had a meeting trying to figure out, oh, we could serve here, we could do all these different things. And it was great to see. You guys are amazingly dedicated as a church plant, lifting above, above and beyond. And I want to recognize that for everyone here. But also, I just, I just felt like I wanted to call out, she's not even in the room, Simon is, the, the two Hermel families. They're just amazing servants. Every single time I interact, I'm just overcome by just recognizing that just the servant-hearted nature of both of these families. And it just blows me away. And I know particularly for me, I have kids, and Hannah isn't in here this morning. And she's been, she does an amazing job. And I just want to honor that this morning in the hope, not that I'll miss out of people and people feel annoyed at me that I, they weren't named, but let's honor those who serve as Jesus is honored. Let's recognize that the smallest role going out of church and doing kids stuff should be honored. Let's lift up those who serve in this community. Let it not be something negative. Let it not be something forgotten. Let's honor all of those, not just the Hermels, which do an amazing job. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hannah, who's not in here. In the big and the small, no matter what, let's acknowledge that, God, that what you do for God is valuable and his mission. All those different things are valuable. So as we come together, let, us, let me remind you that in response to God's gracious and lavish generosity to us in Christ, we believe that each Christian offers to God their whole lives in loving others in the church and in the wider community, both spontaneously as, they, as needs arise, but also by scheduling. We will give generously of our spiritual gifts, time and energy, possessions and money, offering them in support to others in our church and beyond. We, we will support ministry and the mission of Christ and help those in need. We commit ourselves to answer Christ's call to daily follow and serve him in all spheres of our life, being generous in response to God's generosity to us in Christ. We offer our whole lives. I hope I speak for you. We offer our whole lives to Christ out of response to what Jesus has done for us, as we recognize that he is the master and the servant, and that out of his love, he serves us, and we serve him because of that love. Let us be reminded that we need to take on that humble nature of a servant, that we need to become the littlest as we become great, that we recognize the upside-down nature of the kingdom.
And that out of that response, we elevate those amongst us who serve instead of, as the world does at times, look down upon them. Let us see opportunities like the Christmas thing for us to serve our local community and our church. Let us become like Jesus. Let us be good stewards and great servant-hearted leaders. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes back up um, to, to help us respond in song to what Christ has done. Lord, you are our master and servant. You came to this earth, humbled yourself to, to become a human in flesh, but you created everything. In that way, you chose and entered and you came here to sacrifice and to bring us right relationship so that we could become more like you. Oh, Lord, what a friend we have in you. You are our King. You are our Messiah. Are we that? Do we recognize that you are in our hearts as our Master? And do we live out of response to you? Lord, let that be the case in our hearts this morning. Let that be the case in myself. May we bow at the feet of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.